Fantastic noise. Fantastic noise. Fantastic noise. Fantastic noise. Fantastic noise. A podcast about making radio from the University of Bedfordshire. Hello, I'm Terry Lee. You're with us at Fantastic Noise. Big thanks for your time and for your ears. What does a producer do? That is the focus of this episode, and it's a question asked a lot. Heck, I ask it a lot. Wikipedia, a source we often tell our students to never rely on, says... A radio producer oversees the making of a radio show. There are two main types of producer, audio or creative producer and content producer. Audio producers create sounds and audio specifically. Content producers oversee and orchestrate a radio show or feature. Well, that's all well and good. But what do they actually do? And in the age of podcasts, what does a podcast producer do? Joining me today to find out an answer to that question is a current broadcast journalism student from the University of Bedfordshire, Georgia Palmer. Hello, Georgia. Hi, Terry. Uh, Georgia, as part of your course, you are regularly creating radio content. Uh, is a radio producer role something that appeals to you in the future? Yeah, it is. Um, before I went to uni, I never thought about producing, but having the chance to, in our news days, where we play the roles, mm. it's just really opened my eyes about other aspects other than presenting and it's something that I do enjoy. Coming up in today's podcast, we're going to be hearing from BBC Free Counties Radio's Toby Friedner, the producer and co-host of acclaimed Teenage Diary podcast Berkhamsted Revisited, Laura Gallup, tells us about what her producing consists of. And from New York City, podcast consultant Miranda Schaefer shares with us her experiences of being a producer. Later, as always, we shall be analysing some radio jargon with the Radio Word of the Week and making our weekly visit to Dr Laurie Hallett's radio surgery. But first, no one is as deaf as the man who will not listen, said somebody once upon a time. Let's find out what you've been listening to recently. What are you listening to? Hi, my name's Gary. I'm a 50-year-old psychology student at the University of Bedfordshire. Uh, I'm an old-school listener where I used to listen to people like Dave Lee Travis, and I used to love Steve Wright in the afternoon. Uh, nowadays, I love uh, radio stations that play different genres, a little bit of jazz on Jazz FM, classic on Classic FM, smooth radio for a little bit of soul. Yeah, that's what I love about radio is that any genre of music you like, you'll be able to find it. Hi, I'm Daniela Martins. I'm 19 years old and right now I'm enjoying listening to Nicki Minaj on Apple Music. I'm Nick. I'm 67 and I'm retired. One of the things I do with my time is to play a little saxophone with a couple of local bands. I've come to this quite late in life and I'm not good at reading music at all. So what I have to do is to listen to songs on YouTube so that I can link the dots on the page to actual sounds. Then I use the recording as a sort of karaoke to play along to for practice. Contact us and tell us about something you've been enjoying listening to. I'd love to include your voice in a future episode. Fantasticnoise at beds.ac.uk is the email address. Georgia, there we heard from three very different listeners. Gary, a conventional radio fan. Daniela, who loves streaming with Apple. And Nick, who uses YouTube video audio. What are you enjoying listening to at the moment? Um, at the moment, I've been quite busy with work, so I haven't had a chance to listen to many things. When I do, it's usually 
just typical Kiss FM or Capital on the radio. Um, I use Spotify quite a lot to listen to things, but I'd like to listen to more podcasts when I have the time. Sure. Well, well, tell me, tell me why Kiss and Capital. What is it that appeals about those radio stations? It's just music that I enjoy. It's just my type of music, just easy to listen to, and I just enjoy having it in the background. And it's interesting. You you switch between the two quite frequently, then. Yeah. I mean, some songs just don't really appeal to me, so I just try and find whichever song I like. I mean, when I'm in my mum's car, I'm constantly switching the radio, which annoys her. <laughs> well, I, I always share at least one thing that I'm listening to as well, uh, and this time I'm talking about a radio station that's got a few mentions on this podcast already, Radio X. I love what they do on social media. I also enjoy the music they play and the personalities on the station, like Chris Moyles and Johnny Vaughan and Ellis and John and Gordon Smart. Although I also quite enjoy listening to Toby Tarrant as well. He's quite... Um, He's quite interesting. It's a blokey station. It's full of guitars, and it's a decent listen any time of day. It's nothing like Capital or, or, or Kiss in terms of the music they play as well. Um, yeah. is, is Radio X a station you've ever listened to, Georgia? Um, I think I have. I think my dad's listened to it before when I've been in his car, and I'm pretty sure I've listened to it before. I get what you mean about the guitars, because... I remember listening to it and I was like, oh, I actually quite like this station. <laughs> well, there, there's a station for everyone out there, I think. Yeah. So back to the question of this episode. What does a producer do? Toby Friedner is a senior broadcast journalist at BBC Three Counties Radio. He has worked in various roles in BBC local radio. He is also a graduate from the University of Bedfordshire and this year became Dr Toby Friedner, receiving an honorary doctorate for his work in broadcasting. I asked Toby to describe the work of a producer at BBC Three Counties Radio. They are pivotal. They are the glue, really, that holds the programme together. They prepare for a programme. So in the radio that I'm most experienced in, which is predominantly speech radio, there is a lot of pre-production, deciding which guests that you're going to get on which stories, for example, deciding then how to treat that story. You might want to do a vox pop or you might want to treat it in a more light-hearted way make a package for example and all of those editorial decisions are usually made by a producer before the program ever gets to air often in bbc local radio the producer will also be responsible for another member of staff working on that program usually a broadcast assistant and um, so that's another function that the producer has and of course the producer is also responsible for making sure that the presenter on air is doing what you would hope they are there to do, which for us is entertain the public, give them a good show, don't say anything that will get them sacked or the producer sacked. So they're among the things. So just to break it down a little bit more, there are two overall sides to it, the pre-production and during the show. Sorry, there's a bit of post-production as well, um, a sort of bureaucracy after a programme. But before, it's making those editorial decisions, it's thinking about how you're going to treat something, it's thinking about who you're going to get on what stories. And then for a commercial, so for example, if you were working in commercial radio, it would be deciding on the music and where which songs to play when and using your playlist and you, you know using all the kind of centrally devised things to help formulate your programme. So there's that. And then during the programme, the BBC recently did a survey of presenters 
which asked them what they want from a producer. The number one thing that came out of that was active production, which means make eye contact with your presenter during the programme, laugh when they say something funny, make your face move. You know, when they say something that inspires an emotion, show them that it's inspired an emotion in you because you are the one or sometimes two, behind the glass that they're talking to. There's nobody, you know, although they're talking to thousands or tens of thousands of people in our case, they obviously can't see them. So they're looking at you and they're looking at you for guidance and for that sense that what they're saying is actually good and making sense. Um, So that's a really, really key aspect of the producer's role on air. Um, And then the other thing is, listen And by actively producing, you are also actively listening. You're making sure that what the presenter is saying is good. You're you're able to then give them ideas and feed into the programme yourself. So, for example, one of the programmes I work on, I feed Jasmine one of the presenter's questions. And, you know, sometimes she uses them, sometimes she doesn't. I I come up with uh, ideas for things that she can talk about. And between us, we kind of decide whether those ideas are going to be goers or not. So they're the, the main responsibilities of a producer. I've come across as well producers who are writing and reading news bulletins mm-hmm. as well as preparing content for programmes. Do all producer roles require you to be a voice on air? Not necessarily. Here, we have a breakfast programme where the two producers on air with Andy are on air constantly, pretty much during the programme. So it's a zoo, bit of a zoo radio format. Ben and Danny uh, are now well, as almost as well known to our audience as Andy is, presenter. And, and Danny being another Bedfordshire Danny, graduate, of course. Of course. A, yeah, Danny Fulbrook, another Bedfordshire graduate, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It depends on the type of programme, the type of presenter that you're working with, programmes I work on, I'm not usually a voice on air at all, but it does vary. Do you think it's necessary for for all programmes to have a producer, or do certain programmes not require that sort of in-depth planning? Yeah, I, in my experience, not every single programme needs a producer. Most of them do, 90% probably. So, for example, uh, the ones that don't need necessarily a producer are the ones where all the music is decided by the presenter prior to broadcast. It is all then scheduled by the presenter prior to broadcast. And then all the presenter is doing is literally link song, link song, link song. Those kind of programmes don't necessarily require someone behind the glass because they're not taking phone calls, they're not adding anything during the course of the transmission. The vast majority of programmes outside of that will definitely need preparation from producer in some way and studio live studio production. Toby, there are people listening who will be thinking, I want to be a BBC local radio producer. What experiences should they be gaining or looking to gain? And what what skills do they really need to have? When people come to us saying that they want to work for BBC Three Counties Radio in whatever capacity, well, I only speak from personal experience, actually, or from, from sort of my own personal you know idea of what I'm looking for. I'm looking for someone who is 
willing to learn who has an enthusiasm for radio is not they don't necessarily have to be experienced particularly but listen who listen to us who you know know who the people are and the characters on air who have a passion for three counties radio that that for me is major box ticked if you can demonstrate to me as someone new and coming in why you love three counties radio and why you want to work here great we can teach everything we can teach you how to be a producer you know we can teach you how to set programs up it's having the enthusiasm the desire above others as well actually that's important it's really competitive and people want to work in the media people want to work in radio people want to work in bbc local radio so try and be a cut above impress us with your knowledge of three counties demonstrate your enthusiasm in a way that perhaps other people don't toby we always ask our guests this on the podcast what are you listening to at the moment so right it's pretty much all radio and I, I listened to the first is that there's a station in Manchester called The Hits and someone called Dave Vitti has just got comedy. He was Comedy Dave on the Radio 1 Breakfast Show and he's just got a job as part of the breakfast team with Gethin Jones and Gemma Atkinson. So those three and I, so I listened to their first show the other day. I listened to Radio 2 a lot because they're our main competitor. I listened to um, our heart breakfast show our local heart breakfast show as well from time to time my default position is obviously listening to three counties radio not just for work but because actually i love it i love our breakfast show i love jonathan in the morning i love roberto on the way home nick coffer takes me through when i get the chance the afternoon his own unique way playing fantastic music so and I'm particularly responsible for weekend programs so I'm usually here at the weekends working on programs but when I do the rare occasions that I'm off and I get to listen to them I'll I'll listen to them uh, on a Sunday evening particularly Dr Toby Friedner there from BBC Three Counties Radio he says 90% of programs need a producer to do pre-production live studio production and even some post-production Georgia, do you feel more informed having heard Toby? Yeah, 100%. It's nice to listen to someone that's been to my uni and is actually working in the field that I'd like to go into. And just what he thinks is just quite eye-opening for me. Yeah. Uh, What about what he was saying about active producing? Uh, He was talking about how uh, more BBC presenting talent are, are asking for producers who are you know, obviously interacting with the presenter because as far as the presenter can see, that's the one person they know should be listening, nodding and smiling and laughing. And uh, yeah. uh, How does that sound to you? Um, I think that's a pretty cool idea. I mean, I've never... That's one of the things that I really, like, really stood out for me when I was listening to it. When I've been a producer or a presenter, I've never really thought about that, but it's something I'd definitely do now in the future because it is a bit more reassuring for the presenter and for the producer because then the producer kind of knows what the presenter's headspace is at and the presenter's a little bit more confident in what they're doing. And and, and as Toby says, the producer is the, the glue that, that holds the uh, programme together. Uh, he, he also talked about people should be passionate about the station. So I asked him a question about uh, if people want to be a producer and, and his answer was actually along the lines of you can learn the skills 
to be a producer. Firstly, you need to be passionate about the radio station, which I guess was kind of an interesting response. Do you feel like if you, for example, you like listening to Capital and Kiss, if you were to be a producer of that station, do you feel like you've got enough passion about the station? Should you ever get invited into their into their doors? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's a lot of uh, celebrity-based as well as music, and it's just something that I'm constantly following. It's something that I'm really interested in. Yeah, I think I'd have enough passion to go into that sort of field. Laura Gallup is one half of the Laura duo that can be heard on the podcast series Berkhamsted Revisited, a teenage diary podcast that is published on Acast by Radio Stakhanov, who also make the acclaimed Football Ramble podcast. Laura is the producer, and she also works in a producer role for the BBC Radio 4 Late Woman's Hour. Before delving into what she does as a producer, here's a short clip from Berkhamsted Revisited. I'm Laura Kirk, and I think I might be about to regret this. Of course, I'm not doing it by myself, but with the moral support from my friend, also unhelpfully called Laura. Hello. Laura, you can currently be heard alongside Laura Kirk reading her teenage diary in Berkhamsted Revisited. Uh, Can you explain your role in the podcast? Yes, so I am the sidekick, as it were, to Laura Kirk's diary reading. Um, And we have kind of similar but different teenage upbringings. So I'm there to kind of slightly push back on something she says or or share my different experiences or share my similar experiences because with everything in teenage diary or teenage experiences so much is shared no matter how different your upbringings are so there's that role which is very much in the studio um bouncing off Laura and us having discussions about our teenage experiences but there's also my production role which is editing the podcast after we record it putting music on it and publishing it to Acast, publishing it on Acast, in fact, which is the podcast host platform we use. There are several others. But yeah, publishing it on Acast so that it sits in your phone on all your different podcast apps. That's really interesting. So obviously you have that vocal role, but those standard, I guess, what you'd expect from a production role. But of course, with a podcast, there's this whole publishing element as well. So that's something that you Mm -hmm. take responsibility for. Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's really easy. You just, as is with all different hosts, where you basically upload an MP3 into a web program, I guess is the best way of putting it, write the description, write the title and publish it onto your RSS feed, which is what a podcast kind of sits within, a podcast Mm. series itself sits within. And you just keep posting, like a blog, I'd say, if you imagine the uh, RSS is a website and, and each post a different blog, maybe. Okay. No, no, that's good. That's good. That, that helps us visualise exactly how, how it works. And, and in terms of the production uh, of the podcast, what I quite enjoy about how it's put together is is how there's parts where, where Laura Kirk's reading passages from her diary and what you are doing to help aid the listening experience with music beds in the background and and different choices as well as uh, including those uh, news headlines happening around the same time as well to give uh, context as to what was going on in the rest of the world at the same time how do you come to make those choices is are you like making those choices by yourself are you working on, alongside the other Laura choosing those things so when we start, first started planning the podcast and the production of it we knew we were going to need some 
beds to sit under the diary entries. And originally, I mean, it was quite hard. This I find generally choosing music, choosing commercial music really difficult. Um, and my boyfriend's a copywriter, so he writes radio adverts and chooses music kind of on a daily basis. And so he's so much better at it than I am. I think it's actually quite a skill to choose a tone of a track that you can buy and it can be used commercially, but also will kind of sit underneath what you're trying to say and not be too awkward or not be too cringy. So anyway, so the point is, so when we first started planning planning the show, we decided we'd buy, I think, six commercial tracks that had different tones. So one is sad, one is a bit cheeky, one is happy. And I just alternate between those six tracks mm. um, as to what will sit under the diary entry. Now, the tricky thing with those to begin with was that you know you get a sad track and she's talking about something sad but where the podcast is a little bit tongue-in-cheek there's that line to draw as to whether you're making it a bit embarrassing by pointing out that it's sad or it is tongue-in-cheek does that make sense yeah what? no it does it, it, kind of tone is quite hard to strike so luckily we had quite a lot of help and quite a lot of input from the other guys at Redis Karnoff who were able to help us come up with this six track list because I know a few that I chose just weren't right to begin with and it's a really difficult one and particularly because of that stock music I find generally when you're going through it it just feels awkward and it can feel very YouTube video-y a little bit very teenage which obviously suits us Mm. but it's you don't have to love the music and you don't have to be like oh this is a really cool track Mm. because it's not there to be a cool track it's there to enhance the words that you're using so that kind of disparity was well, initially something that was just different. This was the first time that I'd ever had to had to work with stop music. One of the other production techniques you use in in the podcast is is how you occasionally fade the conversations down, and I, and I'm intrigued whether that was always going to be what you were going to do. But I definitely get that kind of vibe. Like you read you it, it well. It w- I would read it and be like, I'm too, yeah, like you just said, I'm too young for this. Like loved it. Yeah, because it'd be talking about sex. Yeah, it was amazing. Like, oh, right, well, that's um, that's all we've got time for this week. <laughs> to start with, we record. So the podcast is about twenty-five minutes long, and we actually record. We record now for about forty-five minutes, but it used to be about an hour and a half. An hour and a half to hour forty-five when we first started, because we didn't know each other that well. We weren't broadcasters. But there was a lot of guff that came with what we were saying, and so. To, to cut it down to 25 minutes is is a lot of editing and initially we didn't want to do fades initially you know it can it can look a bit of a cop out mm. however it is one of those things where doing it weekly you want to get it out quickly you want to make the edit as streamlined and as fast as possible and generally we don't stop talking so when the point that I want to make in the podcast has finished Laura and I in the recording have carried on but if I need to fade it out, I just fade it out. And so, so there was, there's no kind of like clever reason why we've done it. Quite the opposite. We, we, you know, I do it to just segue on to the next thing. And it's sometimes quite an, an easy, quick way to go. Okay, that point is finishing now, and we're moving on to the next thing. Yeah, but um, it, it works. It's. <laughs> it seems, do you think? Do you yeah, think? I do. I initially think. Well, I initially thought it's lazy. So because you know, I don't know why why one could think it was lazy. I'm glad I'm glad you think it does work. It, you know, it's it's mainly there to to save time and to just yeah signpost that we're moving on. Well, um, I, I guess one of the reasons I think it works is because I don't hear it that often um, in in, uh, in the podcasts and and radio that I listen to used in this that way because it keeps it bouncing along nicely. So as as a producer, Laura, what are the sorts of tasks that you might expect? 
to undertake? We're getting to the nitty gritty of what right. a producer does. Okay, uh, what do I what do I do? Okay, so producing for Berkhamsted is a little bit different because Laura Kirk does a lot of the planning. And normally as a producer, I think you'd expect to do most of the written planning and coming up with topics. However, for, in my experience with Berkhamsted Revisited, because Laura Kirk wrote the diaries, mm. she chooses the diary extracts and she sends me a couple of days before we're due to record three diary extracts with some points underneath and conversation topics and memories and, and what she thinks we might be able to talk about. So I go through that and I jog my memory on my 15-year-old self, what I was up to at that time, my memories of exams and going to school and blah, 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 blah. I then generally as well will kind of sometimes research if there are points where we're talking about cheating on your boyfriend or something something like that where you know that if you type it into Google, you'll get a whole load of women's articles about it. Mm. So sometimes I'll do a little bit of research as to what like people say about certain issues and sometimes I'll get a bit of like scientific research. Yes, yeah, so Laura also writes the introduction and the conclusion. Again, that's not probably what you'd expect in a normal podcast setup. You'd expect the producer to do that. I'm going to go into the studio. So I record, I have both mics on and then that goes through an aux, um, which has all the eq on it that we had a very cool um sound engineer guy come in and swizz up so that both mics you cannot just get the raw if you wanted to do the completely raw audio but i also i just take the aux out which is obviously both our stems bounced into one file and also had a little bit of sparkle on so there's not very much i need to do obviously to the sound itself mm. um we transfer that to myself take it home i use adobe audition to edit which i find great mainly because i buy it with creative cloud so that means i get access to premiere pro video editing and photoshop so i previously heard that you should always edit a podcast with the two voices on different tracks mm. um and that's initially what i did do the reason i stopped doing that is because when you're editing with two tracks and you want to highlight everything and move everything kind of in as one, I kept knocking the tracks mm. so they'd lag at different times or whatever. When I when I was trying to do when I was trying to work with two separate stems, yeah. it significantly slowed down the editing process to try and work with two stems. And actually, it doesn't matter if I slightly talk over Laura Kirk or if we, one of us coughs or laughs or can, you know because a podcast is meant to be slightly informal, slightly relaxed, and I don't need us to be on separate separate tracks nope. so that's my reason for doing that i don't know whether that's the right. right thing to do or the wrong thing to do and and then i publish it then we write a description laura and i go back and forth on whatsapp all of our communication is done on whatsapp <laughs> rather than email because it's quicker and it means you work more um yeah. but i like doing that so that's fine so laura will write a description she'll stick it to me in whatsapp amend it and say you know cut this cut that um send it back to her I, po I post it on ACAST to, to go out at 5am um, on the day of release. That's it. Fantastic. Well, that, that's comprehensive, Laura. Sorry, no, sorry. it's brilliant. <laughs> 6th of March, 2006. Unbelievably, X Factor reject Chico is number one with It's Chico Time. And One Tree Hill airs the infamous school shooting episode. To much praise from critics and fans of the show. 6th of March, 2006 quite enjoyable day at the mosque today it was quite fun i say fun i don't mean as in fun 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 
but it was really nice to be on the social scene again. <laughs> You've also been involved in BBC Radio 4's Women's Hour in a production role. Uh, what makes mm-hmm. podcast producing different to radio producing? Women's Hour? I now work on Late Night Women's Hour, mm-hmm. which is both a a radio show, um, a 30-minute radio show that goes out the last Friday of every month, but is also a podcast. I used to work at Talk Radio. I did a couple of weeks at Talk Radio when I'd recently gone freelance, and that is very much live radio and news news-based talk radio is so different with live radio it seems to be you're writing a lot more you're writing a lot more um intros and teasers and it's just it's a lot more copy i found um mm. which didn't work for me. i don't like writing i hate writing copy from what you're saying with all the the writing you're doing for the presenter to to use like the cue material mm. and the copy and things like that with uh with something like the podcast you're making you're you're letting you're recording organic conversations and and you're working with that material instead yeah i mean i love i can't tell you how much this making this podcast is like a dream come true because for quite a long time i obviously got my experience being a producer and you know wanted to do wanted to do kind of in front of the mic stuff doesn't everyone do you know what i mean mm. i i kind of experimented a couple of in a couple of ways you know doing a radio show on various community radio stations talking about music and i couldn't really find where i fit doing berkhamstead revisited which is a podcast that talks kind of about our experiences and our lives everyone loves talking about themselves but also from like a female perspective and seeing how much we've changed particularly in this in this world we live in now like how 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 we would be now compared to what we were like then um i find fascinating mm. and talking to another woman about her experiences and she's a little bit different to me again it's just fascinating so this is just a dream come true in terms of the content how important do you think it is for um, a podcast or, or a radio program or live radio to have a producer or a team of producers is it really necessary when i first did work experience at women's hour which i've been listening to as a podcast for quite a long time and you know i knew it was a 45 minute show with five different seven minute segments and i walked in to in, in broadcasting house walked into the women's hour office and i was like what Who, why are there so many producers <laughs> and i was so perplexed as to why there were so many people for one show and then obviously when my son explains to you, well, who do you think researches and plans the five guests that you heard on this morning's show? And you go, oh, yeah. And so for Woman's Hour, there's a different producer for each interview that's done. And so so they research that interview, write the questions, prep the presenter, and, and then sit in the sit in the booth while while the, while the interview's happening and the guest is in the studio on the talk back, you know, not piping up all the time, but ready to just say, oh, could you just ask that bit in case the presenter got got carried away? So the role of the role of a producer in live radio or in radio, um, as far as I've understood so far, is utterly essential as just a parrot on your shoulder. Perhaps parrots are negative words, but you know, a, a friend on your shoulder who has been very much responsible for the crafting of the story that's being told and ensuring that the narrative as they planned is what's getting broadcast. They are wholly responsible. Whereas I used to think, oh, it's just because Jane Garvey and Jenny Murray are just so clever, which they are. And of course, they bring themselves to it also. But I I never realised until I started working at, at Women's Hour just how important the producers are in, in the programme that that goes out. Laura, 
what are you listening to at the moment in in your own time or, or even when not in your own time what what are you enjoying listening to it might be a radio station a presenter or a program or a podcast because i work in the independent podcast sector as it were i shouldn't really shout about bbc podcasts however the fortunately podcast by jane garvey and fee glover is so brilliant I could not recommend it highly enough. And I presume quite a lot of people have heard of it now. Like, it's doing bloody well. Mm. Because I'm very interested in the ins and outs of the BBC as this kind of slightly uh, exciting and sexy, but also very Radio 4 and and highbrow place. They interview cool people from the BBC, um, you know, from, from Radio 4, which I've listened to since I was, like, 12. Like, the newsreaders, like Zeb Sones on on. on Radio 4 and things like that in the piazza of the BBC and they are just really frank and funny. It's so beautifully recorded and I'm so intrigued as to how they have masterfully recorded both being outside but interviewing and it sounding lovely but you've got all the atmos of them being outside. So it's just it's just very well done. It's very well produced. Let me tell you what else is good. Okay, I haven't given it enough of my listening time but if you want an exceptionally well produced podcast, again, possibly you've heard of it, it's Caliphate from the New York Times. Everything the New York Times puts out is gorgeously produced um, with so many details. And in fact, one of my tasks that I've been set on is to just to study what what they do and how they do it. Because obviously as a listener, less as as a producer listener, but generally as a listener, it can kind of wash over you and you don't realise why everything's so effective. So I do want to go through and study why Caliphate is so effective. I'm a huge fan of Ellis James and John Robbins. I don't listen to their on Radio X and their podcast. It's kind of gained a cult following. I don't listen as much as my boyfriend would love. He's a huge fan, but that's very good. I like the BBC's Academy podcast. Um, I haven't listened to that in a while, but that was that has some really good insight, actually, in terms of production and and stuff. How do they make the archers is one of the uh, I see. topics. Inside daytime television, ideas, reveals and hard work. So that's good. Laura Gallup from the brilliant Berkhamsted Revisited podcast. She was kind to give so much of her time to describe her role as a producer. I genuinely learnt a lot from her sharing her experiences. Essentially, it made it clear to me that a podcast producer is the person responsible for getting the audio from studio to computer to the public. Uh, Which of Laura's words stood out to you, Georgia? I think it was more the fact that she was saying when she was doing Women's Hour that she was quite shocked about the producers, about how many of them there were. And it's nice to know that everyone starts somewhere and they might not be as clued up at first. And then she's gone on to do something like this podcast. I just think it's really cool. I mean, the podcast sounds amazing. I really want to listen to it. It Mm. just sounds like something that I'd really enjoy listening to. I think I think you are very much within that target audience of the podcast, Georgia. To be honest, yeah. What about the idea of making your own podcast? Is that is that ever something you'd considered? Yeah, no, I would. I definitely want to do it with someone. I don't think I'd be able to do it by myself. But just having that conversation would be like with someone would be really cool. Um, just having a conversation with someone talking about yourself, like she said, everyone loves talking about themselves. Yeah, I just really like it. It's something I do all the time. She's talking about as well with her production role how um, editing is such a a major role and we talked about certain editing techniques and and technical things. When you are editing audio, Georgia, do you feel like you've you've still got a a lot to learn in in, in that 
capacity as an editor? Um, yeah, I do. There are so many things that I need to learn. But I went into uni two years ago now, basically knowing nothing about radio editing. And now I can edit just a really simple piece of audio really quickly. I can help people. Um, but there's always room for improvement. And I think I think the the lesson really from from Laura who was saying that she didn't go to a, a university and do a media course or anything like that. She she sort of learnt by herself and she's got friends to call upon. And so editing is something she's picked up along the way. So maybe you've got a head start on 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 some of those people that became professionals with their production, uh, yeah. Georgia. Uh, and and what about talking about stock music as well? I mean, did that part of the conversation? Um, mean much to you like guess those those editorial decisions on on how to make a program and how important it was for Laura with regard to just the right music to fit the vibe of the program yeah I mean it's something that I never really think about when I'm listening to it but I notice it in the background and I've used music in my own like clips before but I never think of it as a necessity. It's just something where I feel like it would go really easily. But maybe I should think about adding a bit of audio to a lot of things where it could go. It just helped me practice a bit more, finding the music that would go with it. Yeah, and then, and then you're helping the listener with the, the story you're trying to tell as well, ultimately, as well. Yeah. Miranda Schaefer is a New York-based freelance producer with expertise in fast-paced multimedia production and podcasting. She's been engineering and editing audio since 2008, has worked for a variety of organisations, including the superlative WNYC, and currently produces a weekly podcast called How Do We Fix It? I asked her for her take on what a freelance podcast producer does. I would say that it's about sort of, uh, you know, helping the hosts find like overall themes what kind of guests they want to get, you know, questions, prepping, things like that. And then, of course, what I do is I I also edit audio. And so I do post-production. I have the recording equipment with me. I post the audio to the different platforms that release the audio to to different podcast catchers, like iTunes and whatnot. So in America, we have two different platforms, like, well, we have a few different platforms. We have Lipson, we have Acast, we have SoundCloud. But yeah, I would say it's, it's a range of different things. And then, of course, I, I try to promote the podcast on social media. Mm. I mean, the title has the title can encompass a number of different things. I recently worked with a man who wanted to produce a podcast about failure, actually. And so um, when we sat down and spoke about it, he said, oh, it's, it's very simple. I, I just recorded the audio and I just want you to, it'll be really simple to edit it. Just put a beginning and an end on it. And I listened to the audio in kind of a crowded um, cafe. I was like, oh, okay, this, this will be pretty easy. Then when I uh, got home and I listened to the audio again, then I realized it wasn't very good quality. And it required a lot of post-production work. And so I went back to him and I said, um, what kind of equipment do you have? Can I show you how to, like, why don't I sit down with you and show you how to, how to use the equipment in a better way? Why don't I actually, like, record a few sessions with you so that we get better quality audio? I was like, because, look, the better quality audio you give me, the less time I spend in post-production, that's less money for you, honestly. And, you know, I'm kind of a perfectionist. I, I really want to produce 
high quality audio, high quality stories, because, you know, terrible audio detracts from the message. Miranda, it'd be great if you could tell us a a bit more about some of the other specific tasks uh, that are required um, as a podcast producer. I have a Zoom H5, a really great recorder, and I also have mics, and so... I use a recorder. I often will like go to somebody's apartment or I can record anywhere really. I use uh, cardioid mics, uh, which has sort of a heart-shaped pickup pattern. And I really like that for in terms of that produces good audio because it won't pick up everything around the interviewee. So I can record in the field. I also record remotely. So I can record a Skype conversation, which is helpful not everybody lives in your in your area, as you well know. So what I do is I use uh, Audio Hijack, and I have a Scarlet RTE uh, sort of interface box, and um, I find that produces pretty adequate audio. Skype is really the best medium for me. I found to record conversations. Yeah, and we should we should um, also make a point that we're using Skype right now. So anyone. Exactly. Exactly. Um, we should get Skype as a, as an advertiser or something. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's great because you're 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 in New York City. You're you're five hours behind us. I wonder, Miranda, if you had any views on on what makes podcast producing different to say the role of a radio producer generally, or or do you think that much of it is the same? It'd be interesting to get your perspective. Honestly, it's a mix because I mean I work for myself and I also work I also produce podcasts with other people. I would say in some ways it's very similar because you do end up wearing more hats than the initial title suggests. But but I would say it's different in that, you know, a radio producer doesn't necessarily have to record their own audio. As I understand it, when I was at WNYC, there was an audio engineer mm-hmm. and they had a studio. And so as a podcast producer, I do record the audio, and that recording part is very—it's an important part of it of the job because you want to you want to record excellent quality audio. Did you always want to be a producer? Assuming at some at some point you decided you wanted to get into radio or audio generally, when, and was that sort of producer role always what you had in mind? Yeah, I um, I just knew that I wanted to produce like beautiful radio stories, and so I. Um, and when I graduated from school, actually, I was more interested in writing and publishing. And I just sort of fell in love with radio because I loved listening to other people's sort of more personal stories. I'm a combination of being a little bit shy, but I also grew up in New York City. And so that made me kind of bold when it came to speaking to strangers. And so I enjoy talking to strangers. I enjoy talking to other people. And then I feel like editing the audio is, is a form of writing in that you're finding the story arc. I got an internship at an organization called StoryCorps, which allowed me to learn how to edit audio. And then from there, I got a uh, sort of a per diem production assistant position at WNYC. You know, I was really fortunate to like just learn how to edit audio through internships. Miranda, how important do you think, with a podcast in particular, is it to have a producer working on the podcast? There's so many podcasts starting up now and and so many people doing it themselves. Obviously, some podcasts are incredibly 
popular, although most of the very successful ones obviously have a team of people working behind them. How important is it to work with other people when you're creating a podcast? It's extremely important because it can be a nightmare trying to do it all yourself, Mm. especially if you're not familiar with podcasting, where to post it, like how to record yourself, for instance, how to edit it, like how to book guests, that kind of thing. You know, a producer can bring on other people. I know a lot of people in the field because it's a community. I actually belong to a lot of listservs, New York City radio producers, female radio producers. I belong to the uh, Association of Independent Radio Producers. And so I know a lot of people who can, uh, you know, compose theme music, who good at post-production. Let's say I were less skilled in that area and I needed somebody to help me clean up audio. Then I could reach out to somebody on a listserv and they could help me with that. But um, I would say it's extremely important. It's, you know, podcasting is, it's not as easy as it seems. I think that, I think it's become very popular and people think that like they can just start a podcast, but what they really need is they need somebody to be like, okay, let's look at a calendar. Like how many podcasts do you want in the can before you release it? Is this going to be uh, bi-monthly? Is this going to be weekly? That sort of thing. Mm. What is it that you're enjoying listening to uh, in your own time? Maybe it's a, uh, a podcast. Maybe it's a radio station. Maybe there's certain uh, presenters you really enjoy. What would you recommend? I've been listening to Death in Ice Valley. And uh, that's an interesting. <laughs> you're not the first person to recommend Death in Ice Valley. That, that's coming up a lot at the moment. Crime-ish type podcasts. On that subject, um, just just quickly, do you think it's important to listen to lots of different audio to to improve your own work? Yes. And 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 yeah. and, and are there examples maybe of when you've listened to something and and it's inspired you to do something differently? When I was working with Richard Davies to to produce, how do we fix it? We spent a lot of time discussing what kind of theme music we want how we wanted it to open. I would say that the theme music was important in terms of like, just listening to a lot of different podcasts, trying to decide in terms of like trying to find the best theme music. Mm. So Mm. everybody loves Serial as a, Serial is a great example of a very catchy um, theme music. And so, you know, we listened to different, a lot of different podcasts and just trying to find out, taking the temperature of like what kind of music, How do we want it to open, that kind of thing. Miranda Schaefer, with a US perspective to what an audio producer does. She said she always wanted to be a producer and make beautiful radio stories. A theme that keeps coming back with the people I speak to is using radio and audio to effectively tell stories. I got from Miranda that a producer is responsible for making the audio something people want to listen to. Uh, New York City, Georgia, is prolific with podcast and radio content. Uh, But it seems the job she does over there is similar to what is being done in the UK. Yeah, um, I've never really heard a lot about podcasts, especially at uni, because it's more news-based instead of storytelling-based. So I didn't really know for like producing podcasts, there was a lot of post-production for the producers, which I've never come across really when I've been producer for radio. Sure, sure. And, and and she is talking about, you know, lots of post-production related work in, in our conversation. She's also talking about that pre-production stuff as well, like how people can best use their equipment for 
making the best audio in the first place and that saves them money in the long run because they'll need less post-production time uh, and and effectively Miranda's talking about almost like a podcast consultancy um, as part of her producing role it sounds pretty cool planning a podcast because you get to do all the research and I mean you can because it's not really on a time scale like you'll have a week or maybe a month depending on when it comes out you have a lot of time to plan it which is obviously with the news you have to do it straight away otherwise it becomes old so with a podcast it's more like factual in the sense of it's never going to really become old news for a while so I just think it's pretty cool planning it with the equipment I know how important equipment is um, based on what I've done I've made some pretty bad audio before (laughs) and (laughs) hopefully now I've kind of learned how to use the equipment that I get and I mean obviously Mary Ferguson who's been on here she stresses how important equipment is as well Yes, and yes. I've learnt quite a lot from you and Mary. Well, that's that's good to hear. Yeah, we 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 try <laughs> we try and uh, teach you all how to, to to best get some some decent audio when you're making. Radio. Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, I haven't worked with the equipment we have, and I've just learnt so much from it. Well, that's good to hear. I mean, it's it's interesting going back to a point you you made right at the start there, where you're saying you you, you kind of make news based audio rather than storytelling audio. But I think there is a there is a way that you can combine the two because often the best news stories and things like that are the telling of those news stories. So there is a story to be told. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, I just meant more like news. You have to have a lot of facts. You need to be telling the story yeah but also making sure that everything's right whereas with podcasts like you can kind of put your own opinions in whereas news you can't really yes yes absolutely and and obviously you as a broadcast journalist are also doing things like news bulletins which are quite different those two minute bulletins with like the news updates quite different yeah. to, to a, a podcast about a science uh, experiment or a podcast like uh, Laura's where she's talking about teenage diaries and things like that they're, they're very different but but yeah part of the they're same so family <laughs> yeah they are different they are different If you want to contact us here at Fantastic Noise, I'm always keen to make this podcast as interactive as possible. Do get in touch. I've received some messages and feedback. Here are a couple of the mentions. Uh, Michael sent me a message mentioning how interesting it was to hear Matt Deverson from Radio X and how commercial radio stations are mindful of their brands. He asks for more content about commercial radio. I'll try to oblige. Uh, There have been a few mentions of the Tim Johns vs. Swans promo video I made for the episode about radio packages. Uh, That's available on social media if you haven't seen it already. Uh, And hello to Heidi, Susie, Jackie and David who are new subscribers of the podcast. If you want to get in touch, be it with stories, suggestions for future podcasts, feedback or something else, here are the contact details. Contact us. Fantastic noise at beds.ac.uk. Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash a fantastic noise. Instagram and Twitter. At a fantastic noise. Fantastic noise. When we have radio programmes that need some work doing to them at the University of Bedfordshire, we have just the man to help. You can trust him, he's a doctor. It's time for Dr. Laurie's radio surgery. 
I'm Dr Laurie Hallett, Senior Lecturer in Radio and Journalism at the University of Bedfordshire. The trick to a good interview is knowing about the subject matter in question and about the person you're interviewing. You don't need to be an expert, but you do need to convince the interviewee that you're informed enough to ask sensible questions. Have some outline questions to ask, but don't just work through a rigid list. The most important thing is to listen to the answers you get and to make sure the next question you ask follows on from the one that's just been answered. That's Dr Laurie Hallett with the trick to a good interview. Georgia, this is pertinent to you as a broadcast journalism student. Do you ask follow-up questions? Yeah, when I can think of a question on the spot, 100%, it's always good to show that you're listening to what the person's saying instead of just waiting to ask the next question. And it's something, as soon as I went into uni to do journalism, every single lecture I had, including Laurie, told me how important follow-up questions were and mm. not to just read the piece of paper with the questions that you've got on there. Yes, yes. Listening listening is the key and then responding to what you're hearing as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it just creates so much more energy in the interview and it just builds better rapport between you and the person you're interviewing. Georgia, before we go, it's time for the Radio Word of the Week. Radio Word of the Week. Podcast about making radio. This time it's Fader. In a radio studio, the fader goes up and down on a channel. It is a device for gradually increasing or decreasing the level of an audio signal. Generally speaking, if the fader is up, the channel is on. If the fader is down, we won't hear that audio channel. I often talk about faders to students and get those blank looks back, especially first year students. So, Georgia, (laughs) were you familiar with the term? fader before you came to the university um I mean it wasn't something I used in everyday life before university I must say but it's something that I knew what it was um it kind of scares me still the word fader because I'm always scared that I've left it on if I'm talking when I'm like doing radio when we're live in radio lab I was always so scared that I've left it on and they can hear me singing over the music that I was playing (laughs) so it's something that I'm always conscious of That is it for this episode of Fantastic Noise. Thanks so much for joining us. There will be another episode next week. Do follow us on social media at A Fantastic Noise for updates and previews. Thanks to our guests today, Dr Toby Friedner, Laura Gallup and Miranda Schaefer. Special thanks to my co-host, Georgia Palmer. Our artwork was produced by Stu Elvin, Stu with a double O. Our announcements were from Freya McCann and our theme music is by Liam Ayton. This podcast was produced by me for the University of Bedfordshire's radio team and recorded in the studios of Radiolab 97.1 FM. I'm Terry Lee and this, I hope you'll agree, has been a fantastic noise. <laughs>